Hello, welcome to the Harry Glorikian Show, where we dive into the tech-driven future of healthcare. There's a good chance we're all going to live a lot longer than we think. Or at least, that's what my guest, Sergey Young, argues in his book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young. Sergey is an investor who leads a $100 million venture capital fund called the Longevity Vision Fund. And through his investing, he says he meets innovators who are coming up with the technologies that will extend our healthy lifespans, not just by years, but by decades. Those technologies include better drugs, of course, but also gene editing to rejuvenate our DNA and methods for regenerating or replacing old organs, just the way you'd replace the worn out parts in an old car. All of these technologies are coming faster than we think, Sergey says. And the big question is how widely they'll be available and whether everyone who wants them will have access to them. That's the theme of Sergey's work at the Longevity Vision Fund, which focuses on companies creating affordable and accessible life extension technologies. And it all leads to some pretty mind-blowing questions. Just think about it. Would you want to live to be 120 years old? Most people would say no. But Sergey says that's only because they have an outdated picture of what it means to be old. What if you could reverse the aging process until you were as healthy as a typical 45-year-old or 25-year-old? Then living to 120 might be pretty great, especially if you figured out how to reinvent yourself every so often, maybe have two or three separate careers, stay socially active, and keep doing all the things you're passionate about. Sergey's writing is full of intriguing possibilities like that, and it was fun to talk through some of them with him. For this conversation, I reached Sergey at his home base in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, where it was a balmy 35 degrees Celsius, that is. Sergey, welcome to the show. Hi, Hari. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you. As you can see, I'm dining in from... Uh warm even hot abu dhabi united arab emirates and you were saying it's 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 35 so it's cold yeah so, yeah uh, it's actually it's uh <laughs> cooled down a little bit it was plus 42 celsius um early this week and uh, right now it's plus 35 so it's considered very enjoyable weather here again it's awesome it's not foreign game yeah yeah no no totally understand so sergey i want to sort of uh give everybody a, a sort of a, a grounding right so yeah a couple of years ago you wrote uh you know i think it was 2021 you published the book the science of of technology and growing young which you're holding up now and yes i think it's still the best single guide to your own thinking about science of longevity and what people can do to take advantage of the latest advances in that area and i I think everybody should read it, but but for the people who have not read it, can you give us sort of a two or three minute summary? Sure, of course. Uh, I'm always, uh, but I'm, before I do that, I obviously I'm super happy to do that. Uh, it's always funny, like when we humans, we always try to find like the solution, the silver bullet, right? So, and even <laughs> in my early days when I started to do more longevity investing and. Uh, working on longevity program for myself, like everyone I would meet in longevity field, I would like, okay, Jack or David, like, it would, it, this is all great. I appreciate the complexity of human biology, but like, 
can you tell me one thing? Like, it's, uh, so this is, you know, I look, I say it with a lot of love to all of us and I'm doing exactly the same. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, well, first of all, I actually think that there are a lot of, you know, great books on uh, on longevity field. Not, not, not necessarily on like longevity investing and t- different technologies, the overview of that. But like, I think on scientific front, the choice, I'm, you know, are extremely wide from like David Sinclair, you know, lifespan, yeah, okay, so a lot of books there. But so um, the overall idea of the book is, uh, is we're all going to live longer or much longer than we expect. And if you think about this, there are a number of implications uh, around that from, you know, how do we think about our own lives? Because, um, you know, in the past, when we live, you know, 70, 75 years, uh, you have like three parts life, you know, education, like adult, you know, career, uh, you know, having kids, growing kids and like retirement. And it was all pretty binary, actually. You either like in one stage or another. Um, so we, we're looking at series of mini lives that all of us will, yeah, will uh, have to live and make our own choices, relationship, kids, kids from many generations, you know, multiple generations for us careers, education, you know, new passion, etc. So uh, I think it's fascinating, but it's even more fascinating to look like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to break the sound barrier of 122 years? This is the maximum lifespan on Earth. And with the help of, you know, what kind of technologies and scientific breakthroughs. And the book structured in, in two parts. Uh, and one is dedicated to what I call the near horizon of longevity innovations. And these are the technologies that we're investing in now through Longevity Vision Fund. And many other people all around the world, including you, Harry, <coughs> supporting development of that. So, and, 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 and these are technologies which will help us to live significantly longer, like add 20, 30, 40 years to our life, healthy and happy years to our life. This is extremely important. <laughs> uh, and when people ask you, so what are the main you know, drivers of um, this longevity re- revolution in the next five, 10 and 15 years, I'm always, you know, telling about three things. Uh, one is genetic genetic uh, and gene therapy. I think it's, uh, it's fundamental, it's just transformational. Uh, if we find a way to amend uh, human uh, DNA uh, in a very ethical, obviously, and, and, and socially acceptable uh, way, I, I think, you know, it's a, platform for a lot of breakthroughs, not only in terms of lifespan, but health span as well. So that's number one. Second thing is, it's in the field of regenerative medicine, so many great things happening, but for me, the most important part is uh, organ regeneration there. Because if you think about the old car, this is not my metaphor, it's metaphor from Aubrey de Grey. And um, uh, if you want to extend the life of the old car, like what you're doing is just like replacing spare parts, right? You can even replace an engine and similar things happen in there. You can 3D print organ. You can use uh, animal materials for to like regrow uh, organs uh, or, and this is what we're doing through one of our companies. You can use your lymph, um, lymph nodes to regrow organs inside your own body. Uh, this is a new technology. It tested on humans this year. Uh, so I, I, this is very exciting. And then number three is um, is uh, longevity in the pill. Um, I'm talking about the new class of drugs. Uh, it's going to be called anti-aging drugs or age reversal drugs or longevity drugs. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that 
unlike today, when you go to the pharmacy, like, you know, CVS or Walgreens and like, you know, can I have a, you know, drug against aging, they would think you're crazy or they would send you to cosmetics or sell you supplements. But like in five to 10 years, we're going to bring prescription and it's going to be anti-aging drug. It can easily be drug from the past, like metformin or rapamycin, just existing substance repurposed for that. Right. And um, I'm part of American Federation of uh, Aging Research uh, Board. And uh, Federation is um, working on starting the tri- metformin trial here in the US uh, next year with 3,000 people. That's going to be a huge breakthrough. I, I know it's an old drug. It's actually less expensive than placebo for the trial can you th- can you think about this right. yeah yeah I, I think it's amazing right. yeah but uh, i think the the uh, this trial is not about metformin this trial is about um the introducing the concept of longevity drug of the uh, you know a traversal drug ra- or slow and aging drug rather than just you know drug against any particular disease or it can easily be um drug developed with the help of ai because the you know artificial intelligence is is now used to compress like years of drug discovery and drug development into, into month and again your work and your investments are uh, supporting that as well as always we have a number of companies uh, in our portfolio to support that uh, so again five ten fifteen years from now it's all in the making now I'm not talking like the good news about the book there's nothing there which is sci-fi it's all based on the actual work of amazing scientists, entrepreneurs that we uh, honored to support. Uh, gene editing, gene therapy, organ regeneration or regenerative medicine overall and longevity and in uh, uh, um, appeal. And then so that, but that's, uh, this is helpful. This is plus 20, 40 uh, healthy and happy years. But then if you want to live beyond 150 years and there's huge if behind that, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of immortality, obviously, and I still need to sort out what I'm going to do after the, you know, I'll turn 150. <laughs> yes, I'm 51 today, so I just have another, you know, 100 years to decide. Um, but then, uh, if we're going to live beyond 150 years, and this is a little bit like, a, you know, sounds like a sci-fi now, I don't think we're going to remain, you know, a biological species, right? It's going to be engineered humans, combination of biology and technology, um, things like human brain, AI integration, uh, nanobots flowing inside our blood and then fighting cancer cells or doing diagnostic, uh, human avatars, either like uh, robotic ones or the uh, virtual ones, and um, augmented humans overall. But again, this is far horizon of longevity innovations. This is it's going to be 25, 50 years from now. And uh, and there are a number of ethical issues and regulatory issues, societal issues that we need to resolve before we embrace that. But again, like I would not worry about this. This is more like a concept, like where are we going? And, and is there anything useful that we can take from this concept for our work or for our life today? So that's that's two parts of the book. Obviously, it's mostly the near horizon of longevity innovation. Two last chapters are... One is about technologies of far horizon. The other one is about ethics um, of longer living. It's called morality of immortality. And then, and there's and the biggest chapter in the book called bonus chapter is about uh, 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 ten longevity choices, forty pages. What you can do today to uh, live healthy and happy life. 
So at some point I want to later on in the, as we're talking about, I want to talk about accessibility because this has got to be accessible to lots of people, but a very basic question, but I think it's important. What is aging? You offer a bunch of different definitions of it, but I'm curious, like your own personal opinion, right? Mm -hmm. If you had to boil it down, what do you think is happening inside our bodies, our cells, and our minds when we age? Yeah, um, yeah, very interesting question. I mean, it's a simple question, but like we were trying to find the answer <laughs> for that for it's not even centuries, not thousands, for I think for a million years. Um, so, <clears throat> look, um, first of all, we need to realize again, trying to like boil it down. Like if if I would tell my mom, like if she would ask me that exactly the same question, right? So first of all. Um, aging is not something you know one it's not a one thing right it's it's a complexity of factors remember our you know uh, the start of our conversation today so it's a it's a combination and like really complex interplay of different factors so some of them are happening inside our body and you know we obviously believe it's mostly internal but also a lot of environmental factor influence this as well so inside our bodies, there are a number of mechanisms, uh, uh, you know, different uh, mechanisms and processes started to manifest around 40, 45 years when we become 40 or 45 years old or 40, 45 years young. And it's, um, it ranged from genetic factors. Sometimes people are lucky with their genetic uh, setup. Sometimes people are unlucky. Uh, it's a common belief. I mean, if you look at these studies, it's anywhere between twenty to forty percent of our longevity is defined on the on the uh, genetic front. Uh, all, I I tend to believe like almost uh, all centenarians uh, uh, they they live a good life, but also they've been lucky in terms of expression of the uh, longevity genes, three thousand longevity genes that we already know. Uh, so they work better in their bodies. Um, but the most important part is is actually is, is outside genetics is a number of things like it's um, so okay you have these genes but then how they project themselves uh, in the body how they influence your own biology so that's called epigenetics um, and sometimes you know if you remember uh, once in a while they even stopped um, sharing uh, results of genetic. Um, it was genetic sequencing, like genetic tests with people without, um, and, and they they they, they uh, insist on sending them only to your doctor so he or she can then explain to you what is happening with you because people like took genetic information for granted and sometimes if you have like a cancer risk and you know this particular cancer risk, it doesn't necessarily automatically means that you're gonna get it right. With it's only like twenty to forty percent probability in in in. And statistical terms uh, <clears throat> so but then the other things would be like um, many different processes like um, uh, so uh, what is your body doing with the dead cells right does it still have the coping mechanism to take out the dead cells from uh, or it's called cell waste from uh, your body and, and eliminate this so this is kind of really important uh, the other mechanism is, um, uh, you know, when 
cell is dividing itself. That uh, seems to be like a limit of, you know, what's the division, what's the number of divisions, right? And reproduction uh, yeah, can be made as well. Then the other factor is about role of mitochondria, like the powerhouse inside the cell, which uh, produce the energy and you know, make uh, everything work as well. And I can go on and on with uh, different factors. Yeah. So in um, in LVF, in, in our scientific board, uh, like um, uh, Guter Kromer, uh, one of the authors of the nine hallmarks of aging, just joined us. And actually, um, they published this paper 10 years ago. They just uh, done a revision of that earlier this year, 2023. So it, they added more hallmarks of aging. So it's it's very complex. And, and the way to think about this, if, if aging would be about one thing, then it's either Mother Nature or God or, you know, beautiful human brains would solve it. So it's not one thing. It's it's always complexity thing. And and then finally, and I think this is a very powerful message from the book as well, is that finally through the whole history of humanity, we have something which can appreciate and solve complexity of human biology, which is artificial intelligence. So human brain is just not really good to like appreciate this whole complexity of that. And that's why like 80% of the companies in our portfolio, they're using AI as an alert. And I think it's very important right. to realize that we, we really live in, in this unique time, moment of time. So, so how did you get into the science of aging and longevity, right? Was there, was there like this, were you in the shower and was this like, <laughs> wow, moment when you realized, you know, how much science and aging is going to... Yeah, you know, I mean, and I actually, I invite our audience to observe uh, this. The the unfortunate reality about human mind and, and us humans is like, we all need a wake-up call, like external shock to start to be like interested in, in health and longevity. Just, I was living my life, successful investment manager, um... You know, I was working on Korea, you know, from the age of, you know, 17. I'm from very poor family, from very poor uh, part of Far East of um, USSR. And um, uh, and uh, I just got, you know, I went to the doctor and they were like, well, Sergey, you have extremely high cholesterol level. Apparently, uh, you know, I have a genetic, um, gen I'm genetically predisposed for that. And um and I'm like, oh, this is great. Give me the pills. And, you know, I'll just continue my work. And I say, yeah, sure. Here's your pills. And then, you need, yeah. and they, my question was like, is it just for one month course? And they're like, no, no, no. Um, you know, every day for the rest of your life. And I'm like, okay, we need to stop here. Uh, because I like, I, I, at this time, I think it was 43 or 44. I'm like, why do I need a pill to survive for the next 40 years? Again, at this time, you know, I thought I'm going to be living to 80 years right now. My expectations are significantly inflated, uh, hopefully in uh, in a very kind of uh, fact-based way. Uh, but uh, I was shocked, like, that. why would my body require something uh, uh, like that to live? to live and survive. So, and I, I basically opened up this whole field of longevity and health, human health. And I realized there's so many misunderstandings and myths that we have about this. And, and, and it's a little bit like with crypto. I mean, you can read about Bitcoin, but if you have your own like Satoshi, uh, which is, you know, part of Bitcoin or you have your own Bitcoin, you can uh, look at this and you're learning goes under your skin. So I thought like, 
if I like the space and it seemed to me like developing, uh, I need to set up an uh, investment fund because I'm an investor. So I set up, it's it's $100 million fund called Longevity Vision Fund. We've been working now. We're celebrating our fifth uh, anniversary uh, this year. People thought I'm crazy because Longevity is still an orphan for big pharma, but it, we get in there. And um, it was amazing. I mean, it, it, you know, Harry, like $100 million is like peanuts for financial industry. So, but we've been able to support like 18 brilliant companies. We've uh, made money for our investors. But I think what is more important, we focus on affordability and accessibility aspects. So I'm not interested in supporting anything which would help like billionaires and will be available only to billionaires, right? But, and affordability, accessibility is is an amazing uh, filter for us to see whether we invest or not because um, our companies, they bring like 10, 20, 50, not percent times improvement cost-wise or efficiency-wise, like early cancer diagnostic, affordable ultrasound devices, you know, or like liver transport uh, uh, replacement um, as well. So I'm really proud that, you know, we've been able to support a number of uh, breakthrough technologies and and uh, scientific discoveries, uh, which would help us to create completely affordable, super accessible version of digital medicine and digital healthcare. I mean, in fact, my dream is like I, I don't see any other reason apart from economics, regulation, you know, uh, capitalism, philosophy. Um, I think in the future, like substantial part of healthcare services should be for free. Kind of democratize access to that. Like it's. Uh, any like because it's digital like any incremental patient is just like nothing it's just a little bit of more work by ai so do we know if there's a natural upper limit to human lifespan right you you talk about in your first chapter that it may turn out that the human body is technically unable to carry on much farther than 115 to 120 yeah. years yeah. right so, but beyond just looking at demographic data Right. How long people live today and, you know, but are there any indications that an upper limit really exists? Um, look, I, I think it's all statistics. And, you know, we have like what, eight billion people on the planet now. Uh, many more live on this planet as well. So, you know, I think it's like the our record shows that, that it's 122 years. Like I've just been to China. Um, uh, where I published the Chinese version of the book, they they seem to believe that it's 130. Um, yeah, statistically, we can live to that. Uh, that's number one. Um, are we going to break this limit in the next, you know, 50 years? I'm pretty sure we are because technologies and science become better. But this is all incremental kind of additions, right? It's only with the help of genetic engine therapy, organ replacement, regeneration, um, age uh, reversal, not slowing down aging, but actually age reversal substances, uh, we can achieve that. Uh, but again, and it's more like a, but uh, yeah, it's more like a philosophical question. Like if the um, Greenland whale can live to 200 years, like why us humans could not live to this age, right? I, I like, you know, we obviously different species, but in the end of the day, I mean, it's just our neighbor on this planet right um so i think it's uh, but uh, but again and and this is the part of the book 
if you think about this, I think people are fragile. Like in our in our our biological form is um, is a very fragile form of existence. So um, I think we can then extend it to 130, 140, 150 years. But beyond that, I think we would human mind would find something that would argument us or engineer us, right? I'm not talking like we're all going to be robots or we're all going to be in Matrix, right? But like, and we already use some of the technology, like, you know, um, right now inside our bodies. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that beyond 150 years, it's going to be completely different kind of humans. And we might be one of the few remaining generations of humans um, on this planet which are living in an existing biological form. It's interesting, right? If I think to myself, if I thought for a minute I was going to actually live to 130, mm. I mean, Sergey, I would have to rethink. I mean, a there's a whole things. bunch of rethinking oh, that would need to go on, right? Because I'm like, what? Holy, what am I? What am I going to? Maybe I'll go get another degree. Maybe I'll go like. I mean. You, you would have to reinvent yourself a yeah. few times yeah. over 130 yeah. years. Otherwise, yeah. Absolutely. you'd get bored. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, well, well, let's talk about this. I, I think this is a very interesting concept. And uh, and a number of things that are different in today's world and in the future world from our current view of that, our current paradigm. And I think it's important to understand. So people think that we're working on immortality or almost endless life extension. Um, you know, I don't think it's the case for the overall longevity sector and industry. So knowing what I know about um, technologies, what's going to happen every five to 10 years, you would need to decide, you're going to, you know, would you want to extend your life for another five to 10 years? So it's, uh, so it's going to be like series of, life extension decision points that you know each of us will have a freedom to decide so if you think you like completed your uh, mission on earth i mean you can go to mars or you know you can allow yourself to die so i i think it's uh you know we can think about this with a uh with certain relief that no i don't think anyone would push anyone to like be um you know, to live 200 years, okay? And the immortality, I just don't like the whole immortality thing. I, I think if you take the death from the human cycle, like we, we cannot really appreciate this. Uh, we cannot appreciate the human life overall. So uh, so this is the first thing to realize about the future. So it's not like no one will, you know, ask you to stick on this planet for, two, for 200 years. Uh, that's number one. No, I was going to say, I mean, if you think about it, like I, when I think about like my grandmother or even, you know, like my mom's friends, like at some point they're like, look, all my friends are gone. Like, absolutely. like I'm, I, <laughs> what's the point of, if I don't have that community, like at some point, exactly. you know, uh, what am I going to do? Sit by myself in, in, in sort of, you know, my, it's, it's the, the, the meaning of life, which whatever that is, right, for that person, mm -hmm. is gone. So living longer. Okay, let's discuss that. Uh, I think it's very important, and and this is the second mistake that we always uh, making, assuming this is how it's going to happen in the future. Think about this. Right now, we're talking about 
technologies which will help us to define our target biological age and arrive to this age okay like yep. um later this year we're launching the pro bono competition uh where a group of 65 years old people 65 and above will um test different technologies and scientific breakthroughs to reverse their biological age from 65 to 45 right so uh, and again i mean we in the beginning of the road i mean it's it's just you know science and technology and regulation and ethics should take as much time as possible but like we start in this process so think about this right now like you know i'm i'm 51 right and when i think oh i need to reinvent myself like if i'm that and that at 51 like you know how will look like how do i feel at the age of 75 so you're assuming when you're going to be like 65 or 75 you will not have a power hormonal balance energy uh, so obviously like if you need to decide at, at the from uh, the point when you're seven, 75 years old like you don't want to live longer right or you you need you know more convincing reasons to live longer uh, and people find them um, but like if i'm chronologically like 75 but biologically i'm 45 you know i have completely different mindset I'm full mm-hmm. of energy, you know, I'm reproductively, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I can reproduce myself, right? Uh, so, and again, because if people are healthy, like their reproductive period will also extend. Uh, so, like, if I would feel like 45 and I'll be biologically like 45, it, this might change your perspective on starting right. the new life, starting the new career, starting the new relationship, uh, starting in kind of new cohort, new generation uh, of kids. Such a, I mean, everything we know would have to change. I mean, you know, if you look at right now, what is it? Al Pacino just had a baby, and I forget the other actor, yeah. right? And yeah. They're not. They're not. They're, they're not spring chickens. Oh, De Niro. De Niro just had another. Yeah, baby. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, okay. I mean, seriously. Let's pause the conversation for a minute to talk about one small but important thing you can do to help keep the podcast going. And that's leave a rating and review for the show on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open Apple Podcast app on your smartphone, search for The Harry Glorickian Show, and scroll down to the ratings and review section. Tap the stars to rate the show, and then tap the link that says write a review to leave your comments. It'll only take 30 seconds but you'll be doing a lot to help other listeners discover the show. And one more thing. If you like the interviews we do here on the show, I know you'll like my new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. It's a friendly and accessible tour of all the ways today's information technologies are helping us diagnose disease faster, treat them more precisely, and create personalized diet and exercise programs to prevent them in the first place. The book is now available in print and ebook formats. Just go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and search for The Future You by Harry Glorickian. And now back to the show. So, okay, let's 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 shift for a moment, right? Because longtime listeners know like the central theme of this show is is how is 
data about our health going to revolutionize medicine, right? Because now we can really gather much more data about ourselves, patients, and because of advances in computation and AI, we can really do a lot more with that data, as you've sort of said a few times. So I have a few, like, questions about that, right? So do you think we're doing enough to make personal medical data shareable, actionable, what excites you about the area, and what are some of the biggest barriers to progress, especially as it relates to the kinds of personal data we need in order to be smarter about the way that we age? Yes, uh, obviously we're not doing enough. Um, and um, and I think situation even more terrible than you would expect. Um, few facts. I've seen, I think it was an article published a couple of years ago that uh, majority of data uh, exchange between different healthcare providers are still happening by the way of uh, fax messages. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not sure it's actually like it's, I'm not sure it's actually like a fax machine like we've seen 20 years ago, but like it's scanned, can I copy and uh, and send by fax. So, uh, I, and the figure I, I remember is like 60%. So like, <laughs> What are we talking about? Like, I think it was UK, and and I think it was three years ago. They even created a regulation which prohibited the purchase of fax machines by hospitals. Okay, like people were just like buying and buying them, like just using fax to um, for the data, you know, interchange. And I think it's awful. That's number one. Uh, number two, I, I also think it's. Um, Healthcare as a as a very traditional conservative industry, and as a patient, I want it to be that way, because I don't want to I don't want them experiment with uh, uh, my health. Okay. Well, on the other side, it works against that. Uh, like, if you go to the hospital next door, uh, you almost like traveling back in time because it takes seventeen years in the U.S. From something being approved for the use to be in actual use, like in in majority of places all around the country. So, like today is what twenty twenty three. Like you know, it's uh, you're traveling back in time, and it's and I think it's it's you know it's a pretty sad story. So I, I actually think in and again I'm you know I'm I'm intentionally provocative to get the message across. Like I'm not saying this is right. going to happen. I'm not embracing big tech. Big tech has a lot of uh, problems, and I have a lot of problems with big tech. But I don't think the change uh, and disruption in the form of digital healthcare will come from existing healthcare um, uh, players. I think it's going to no, be impossible. like the, yeah, yeah. Like I think ten years from now, the largest healthcare companies on earth going to be called uh, Apple, Google, Amazon, mm-hmm. Microsoft, uh, etc. Again. Like, yep. just don't try to buy their stocks right now, right? This is not advice about this. And and it might be different names, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be digital players disrupting the healthcare. Yeah, it's very unlikely that the current industry will disrupt itself. But this is normal for uh, everything we know about the business and about the construct of human uh, human mind as well. But what I like about that we get in a lot of data and we seem to solve the data 
kind of security and safety um, concerns on many fronts. Like in a way, like people ask me, well, Sergey, what do you think about data privacy? And like, you know, I thought we responded to these questions like 10 or 20 years ago with um, with our phones, right? I'm like, I'm outsourcing everything to that, right? And uh, I think it's, a, in, it's in the past, right? Um, so um, I think uh, that the beauty of uh, new digital devices like, uh, you know, the Aura Ring that I use, you know, Apple Watch, and you can use whatever you want, like a number of choices is that we start to collect data, we start to analyze them. And as always, you can see the a lot of evolution is like, you start collecting and then like you have enough data to like draw conclusions. And this is how they do. Right. I like, if you ask me, yeah, you know, um, wearables became our personalized healthcare devices already yep. today. And I think it's only with addition of two features, which is uh, continuous glucose monitoring and uh, blood pressure monitoring, we're gonna get like 90% of the data we need about our health. Like right. when I'm about to get sick, my O-ring will tell me like 24 hours in advance that your body temperature is like elevated. And and this is and and then I you know fell sick like 24 hours later. And I mean this is amazing. And and I think Apple Watch saved so many lives uh, in the last few years. People falling down in the street, they it call an ambulance. Yeah, detecting yep. five different types of. Um, arrhythmia right and uh heart problems as well doing electrocardiogram measuring oxygen level i mean you and i can go on and on with that and i think it's exciting oh yeah yeah and so i was talking to um someone at google uh, in mm. one of my previous episodes and we were talking about <clears throat> how countries like india singapore and china uh want to access their uh medical large language model and how they're really putting it into use on a regular basis, but the U.S. is gonna, you know, the U.S. is gonna be, I don't wanna say last, but it's gonna be farther behind those. And I almost think we're going to be at that point of, if you remember cell phones, right? At some mm -hmm. point, all the other countries just, they just jumped over the, the whole yeah. landline Absolutely. thing, right? Yeah. And they went to yeah. cell phones because yeah. they didn't wanna go through that evolution, they just, leapfrogged i think the same thing is going to happen in certain parts of healthcare where I agree. other parts of the world are going to be so much farther ahead than the u.s uh just because well the way you do it here is just this way and you know why why i almost think we need a central facility in the u.s that does real cutting edge like fast iterations and then push that out to the existing systems to say hey guys you know this is a way to sort of move things forward because if you think about industry if we're not competitive and we're not making changes on a regular basis we're never going to win right we'll 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 lose the competitor will beat us but there is no competition in healthcare if you think about it in a sense right the hospital down the street is where you're going to go. It's not like there's a competition between, you know, two hospitals and you're going to pick yeah. one or the other because one. Yeah. So it, it, it's just a different dynamic that I, I don't know how it's going to change here in the U.S. relative to what I'm seeing happen in certain other parts of the world.
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I see a lot of examples where governments take more active role in not only regulation, but like, you know, developing and promoting uh, much more advanced and digital based uh, version of healthcare. And I think it's important to realize that we should not be only like US centric. We should try to learn from the other parts of the world. Like, remember, I was speaking at Singapore May this year, and uh, I went to the the website of uh, Singapore Health Promotion Board. And I thought I'll just go there like for like 15 minutes to be relevant for the audience. That's it, right? I was just like, what are you guys doing there in the health promotion? And I so I spent there like four hours on that day. It's amazing. I mean, what they do in there, it's just on and on. And China, again, I just spent like a week in China. I, I was uh, uh, invited to speak uh, in uh uh, Beijing uh, University for all the medical students. Uh, and the the, uh, the scale China is just massive. Like I was speaking at the, in the face of like one million people audience, and I'm like, Sergey, we're gonna live stream you. It's, usually, it's anywhere between million and three million people watching. Yeah, it's gonna be at least <laughs> one million today. Okay, but yeah, what they do in there is I, I think is extremely important and. Um, because uh, the future of healthcare is a digital um, uh, digital healthcare, and it's uh, and and use of AI. Uh, well, let's talk about this. Um, so, a few years ago, if you do uh, MRI scan and this human radiologist w- look through your scan, it's only thirty four percent of chances that early stage cancer will be detected, because doctors, it's a human eye has its limitation it's early stage cancer it's like really difficult to like see beyond this spot on on the mri scan whether it's actually you know uh, early stage cancer or not and third human doctors always working under time pressure right so this reality of their work but right now same human doctor empowered by ai is like 99 percent chances to do early stage diagnostic of cancer. And this is amazing because, you know, stage one cancer is 90 to 100% probability of recovery. And stage four, like a late stage cancer is, you know, anywhere between eight and 25, depending on the cancer type. I'm generalizing here. Yeah. But don't forget that it's not profitable to cure everybody, right? So (laughs) I hate saying it, but there is a business here. And sometimes, you know, What's good for the patient may not be yeah, good for the business. Absolutely. Well, that's why people would like people tell me like Sergey, why don't you set up Longevity Vision Fund in uh, in the U.S. And I'm like, you know, and let me give you some figures there, so, so then people can reflect on that. U.S. has the largest and the most inefficient healthcare system in the world. Okay, eighteen mm-hmm. percent of GDP, and it's probably one of the. It's probably the only one of the developed nations where the lifespan is decreasing, even pre-COVID, right? So uh, think about this. UK spends 8% of its uh, GDP on healthcare. Singapore spends 5% of their GDP on healthcare. And they have much better numbers. So like, you know, obviously uh, there are a number of uh, things that you can discuss with your friends over the dinner. Let me put it this way. So let me swing back to... AI and machine learning, right? Yeah. There's there's a lot of things going on right now. I mean, so many things that I'm 
I'm honestly having trouble sort of True. keeping up with with the. I you think need a, you need AI to support your HI, you know, to keep on. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, and and and, well. and we've 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 built something that's helping us look at you know papers, right, mm -hmm. so that we can make sense of it. But but you know, transformers, large language models, like I these things have been able to predict or generate you know good information on human level communication but i'm you know we've also found that these things also identify chemical and patterns in proteomic data and i think it's going to be the next big biotech area as far as i can see to accelerate drug discovery drug design um, if you were writing the book today would you have a whole chapter on just that uh, are you talking about drug discovery and uh, drug development? Right, using yeah. these large language models, though, right? Not not anything that existed in the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, it is in the book. Um, we talk about this. It, it's the whole chapter dedicated to use of AI for drug discovery and drug development. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like you know, uh, we have two companies in Silicon Medicine and Valor Health in uh, in our portfolio, and. I was just looking, I think it was in Silicon Medicine. They took like the first two years, it's called drug discovery process and compressed this in two months. And this is amazing. And sometimes AI, uh, and like all the companies that I know in the uh, AI um, drug discovery space, they have massive collaborations with uh, Big Pharma. Uh, you know, it's $100 million of, uh, obviously it's milestone based, but... Uh, yeah, I think was it Velo? Yeah, Velo Health. Velo yeah. just announced a, a deal. Yeah, yeah, we were one of the uh, early investors in in Velo. I mean, this is massive, and uh, this happening. I think you know because the structure of Big Pharma is uh, relatively consolidated, uh, it's a no brainer for them. And I'm, uh, you know, we don't work a lot with Big Pharma. Like, we hundred million dollars is, is like nothing for them. But uh, um, everyone I know on a formal basis says, like, well, Sergey, we have this whole AI revolution happening inside Big Pharma now. Yeah, so, and this is actually easier. I think it's easier to comprehend and easier to imagine that, uh, you know, drugs in the future uh, will not take 12 years to, um, to develop. It will not take $2.6 billion per drug, uh, R&D per drug to develop. And, uh, but I'm also, I'm very, but what is different, it's not going to be only faster, but it's going to be personalized. We, I mean, I've seen a lot of startups. It, it was too early for us to invest, you know, on the basis of your, um, uh, genetic, uh, not only genetic, like on the basis of your health data, they would just find the personalized, uh, combination of, uh, cancer treatment for you. And, and I think efficiency improved by like 43%. Think about cancer, right? Cancer was kiss of death like just 20, 40 years ago. And for some of us, it's still kiss of death because we wear these old lenses of, you know, how, how the medicine, medicine and diagnostic tools look like 20 to 40 years. But like with cancer, 43% improvement in, uh, in success. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. So, Sergey, you, um, you're working with Peter Diamantes on yeah. the... X Prize Foundation. Now, I, I I think you guys have proposed something called uh, 
what is it? Age reversal X Prize. Yeah, it's going to be called Health Span X Prize, which is still, I think, in its early form. Yeah. yeah. What What's the nature of the challenge? I mean, meaning, what will the team have to do mm-hmm. <clears throat> to win the prize? You know, how much do you need to raise mm-hmm. uh, to actually create the prize? How's the fundraising going? I mean, just give yeah. me, you know, yeah, for yeah. the audience to sort yeah. of understand. Yeah, we're going to launch by the end of uh, November this year in a few capitals in the world. I'm speaking at one of the conferences. It's going to be called Healthspan X Prize. Uh, the idea of the competition, you take uh, just a little bit above $100 million. You go to the world and you say, the first team is going to solve this problem, the aging problem, going to get $100 million. I mean, it's a little bit more complex than that because you support, you have us two rounds. You then you to support like ten finalists with the grants out of this hundred million, and then you, sometimes it's not one winner but two or three. But like in the end of the day, it's totally pro bono. So I was the one who put uh, the first money into this thing uh, five years ago to design this healthspan um, X Prize competition. Uh, but obviously, you know, I'm not the richest guy in the world. Then for the last four years, we've been fundraising for this. And finally, we reach our goal of 100 million. Uh, this X Prize is going to be, this competition going to be bigger than the one we've done with Elon Musk um, uh, two years ago. It's called Carbon Removal X Prize. It was $100 million for to remove CO2 from the atmosphere. Uh, it was funded by Elon. Um, and um, it, the winning team, what? would need to do is to, again, take a group of uh, 65 years and above all people and reverse their biological age by 20 years in the course of one year. And then you you actually measure the, um, um, like a degradation rate. So you measure effect not only in the end of this, not in the end of the 12th month of treatment, but then a year later and then a year later to see how sticky this, um, uh, you know, age reversing effect, and um, uh, that's it. I, I think we're in the final um, um, stage of um, development of it, and it's going to be launched by the end of the year. We're expecting at least four to five hundred teams all around the world. It's usually fifty plus countries uh, to participate in this uh, uh, competition. But again, this is all pro bono. This is not the uh, uh, the only commercial project that I'm doing in in longevity field is uh, longevity vision fund, and this is only for accredited investors uh, uh, to invest. But you know, uh, it benefits the whole world because we invest only in affordable and accessible version of it. We disrupt you know things by 10, 20, 50 times. Yeah. If you think about drastically expand, extending human lifespan, right? Like mm-hmm. what is it? The average average person in the U.S. is probably seventy five, if you want. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then and I know it's going down, but let's hope it stays, it stays in for a guy in the U.S. I'd like it to stay a little higher. Uh, right? yeah, yeah. But why do you think when you look at the last? I think I looked at a uh, a research interview by the Pew Research Group. They were asking people, "Would you like to live to a hundred and twenty or longer?" Right. And the majority of people said no, right? A bunch of people were like, ah, nope, 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 that's not going to work for me, right? Why do you think that is? And what do you think 
it would take to change their minds? Mm -hmm. Okay, very interesting question. I remember my whole journey in longevity started with this research, right? And uh, I think they published this back in 2016, and they done it in the US and UK, uh, I think as well. And uh, figures are fascinating. By the way, I just want our audience not to be confused with the numbers like 75, 82 as well. Just, you know, Google, take a look. <clears throat> the number of you know, terms that we use, one is expected uh, lifespan at birth. The other one is the, you know, average age of the people um, who die in this year. So, I mean, but I mean, it's a range, obviously, 75 to 85, but it's there are different statistical cohorts that they use to define this number. So don't be confused by that. Um, so and I remember the outcome of this research, like it's, it was only 15 percent of people who wanted to be immortal, 15. Uh, and yep. there was only 30 percent, I think around 30 percent of people who wanted to extend their lifespan, like 70 percent or like life extension, even 10, 15 years. No. And, I, and <clears throat> well, if you think about this is, um, uh, yeah, I think the best example of it, like some 51 and imagine people asking me like, Sergey, when you're going to be 100 or 120, do you want to extend your life? And I'm like, no, I'm not sure because today, whatever exists today in the world of life extension is risky, untested, right? And frankly, not available and super expensive. It's almost like the, you know, asking people 150 or 120 years ago, you want to fly the plane and we're like, they're looking at these balloons, they're, you know, they're looking at the, you know, uh, this early generation of planes, which are extremely risky only for uh, uh, very, you know, selected group of people, you know, things are changing. So we always underestimate um, technological progress and availability of that and quality of it for the next 10 to 20 years. That's number one. Number two, we we have a wrong model of aging today because we're looking at you know ourselves, our uh, you know parents and grandparents, and obviously you know the life extension today. You just sit and observe how your body is aging and your brain is aging, right? The the longevity field that we and technologies that we're working on would give all of us the opportunity to take my much active role in that so we're not thinking about aging 5 10 20 years right in the end of your life we're thinking about aging this number of years right in the middle of your life when you you're in the active stage so right now like the maximum you can do you can slow down the aging but in 10 years from now you can do age reversal um so you can you know say you know um you know, I'm 65. I just want to feel uh, biologically. I want to be 45. And when people think that would be awesome, yeah, yeah, they always <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I can tell you the secret. We can do it even today by three to five years. And when people tell me like, Sergey, this is crazy. You cannot do it. And I'm like, okay. Um, the study in the U.S. Uh, eight for eight weeks, um, they uh, changed the protocol. They they use one protocol for people. Uh, for male part of the group, it was minus 3.2 years biologically. It just eight weeks. And for woman, uh, for the female part of the group, it was minus 4.6 years biologically. Just in course of eight weeks. It was worked by Dr. Cara Fitzgerald and uh, her colleagues. She has a great book, Younger You. And, 
And the people were like, oh, wow, what did they use for like eight weeks to, you know, people to be like five years younger? Three magic things, sleep, exercise, and diet. Okay. So if like, if using this lifestyle interventions, you can like, you can be five years younger. Why, why you think it's crazy if we will develop like a longevity in the pill, genetic engine therapy, uh, why we cannot be 20 years younger? I mean, it's the same trajectory of the change if right. you want, right? This is just, yeah, to make all of us a little bit more comfortable with the idea of age um, reverse. Sergey, it's been, I, I hope you're right. I mean, actually, you know, I don't know if I want to live to 150. I'm trying to figure out what I would do for that, for that long. Um, and if my friends didn't go with me, I, I don't know, it would be sort of lonely, but um, irrelevant of the how long I live, I would like to be as healthy as long as possible and then just drop dead. I agree. Right? I agree. Uh, yeah. Something quickly. But, um, you know, I, I, I hope you're uber successful in everything you're trying to do because I think we'll all benefit from it. And it's been great having you on the show. Likewise. And I wanted to thank everyone for joining us today. Thanks for your questions, Harry. It's always great uh, to spend time with you. And uh, for anyone who wants to find me, I'm Sergey Jan Tuchandit on uh, Twitter and Instagram and the book called The Science and Technology of Growing Young. Excellent. Stay healthy and happy. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. You can find a full transcript of this episode, as well as the full archive of episodes of The Harry Glorikian Show and Moneyball Medicine at our website. Go to glorikian.com and click on the tab Podcasts. I'd also like to thank our listeners for boosting The Harry Glorikian Show into the top 3% of global podcasts. If you want to be sure to get every new episode of the show automatically, be sure to open Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and hit follow or subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we always love to hear from listeners on Twitter, where you can find me at hglorikian. Thanks for listening, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next interview.